Hello, ball watchers, and happy Friday. Just Jake here on the pod for today, and a little bit of a different flavor we have going for us here. So you guys know us. We love to cover St. Louis City SC very well and dear to our hearts, uh, but we also love to cover the U.S. men's national team repping the the colors today, the red, white, and blue, uh, and we cover them pretty extensively in, in the World Cup, and we committed to doing so uh, you know, wherever we can and wherever we can find time to cover some of the, the bigger moments for U.S. men's national team. I think a lot of us St. Louis City fans probably have some level of tie to the national team and wanting to uh, support them and, and, and hope uh, and, and dream of, of a World Cup here uh, eventually coming to the United States. And we'd be remiss if we did not talk about what's going on right now. And today's agenda for you all is going to be kind of focused on three things. The first being, and what's largely being overshadowed, the U.S.'s 3-0 demolition of Mexico last night in the Nations League semifinal. We're going to get into Burhalter, I promise you, you all, and his rehiring, which has just a few moments ago been confirmed by U.S. soccer. So it is happening. It's imminent. And then we are going to talk about a little bit of a preview ahead of the CONCACAF Nations League final, which is going to feature the boys in red, white, and blue against our neighbors to the north in Canada. Uh, so going to be an exciting one on Sunday. So that's the agenda that we have for you all today. And I mean, I, I, of course, we're, we're, I just planned on starting this and all of a sudden this news broke that Greg was confirmed by u.s soccer and just for everyone before we get into the actual story i'm going to start with the men's national team and then we'll get into the greg part but uh so let's talk about this win last night for anyone that was watching it of course it was on at 9 p.m central time it was being played in vegas at allegiant stadium the, the new death star if anyone's seen it in vegas and it was a fun one man if for anyone that went to bed or decided to sit this one out you missed it and i hope you can rewatch it and i think it might be permanent uh, rewatching because I want to keep watching this game over and over. It had everything. It was basically a 90 plus minute ad for the game of soccer in the United States and this rivalry between the U S and Mexico, which is I think one of the biggest rivalries in soccer in the globe. And I'm a little bit biased in saying that, but show me ones that mean more um, on the international stage. So I want to clarify that, but Let's get into it. For anyone that didn't catch her, for those that did, uh, a couple big moments I want to highlight. And the first being Christian Pulisic. Christian Pulisic scored our first goal, which came in the 37th minute. I think it was a pretty much a good back and forth game up until that point, especially in the first 10, 15 minutes. I think we had some good moments. I think they had some decent moments. Nothing that was crazy, crazy good chances until Pulisic basically dribbled the entire team down the left side of the field and just blazed one over the bar, which would have been one of the best goals scored in men's national team history that I can remember. And he was very bummed about it, but he did respond in the 37th minute. It was kind of a scrappy, you know, ping pong ball bouncing around in the box and Christian's right place, right time takes his man on slots it by Ochoa, the, the, the oncoming keeper. It was a great goal, a great way to get up before halftime and really put a knife into the heart of Mexico. They could not make it into that, that half soon enough. And then halftime comes and the news all breaks around Berhalt. Everyone's talking about it, but I promise you we're going to get to it, but everyone's distracted. Meanwhile, the U S gets back out on the field a couple minutes early. Mexico's nowhere to be seen. People were thinking they'd, they'd make some changes. Things weren't working with them. And immediately once they do get to the field, 
one minute later in the 46th minute, we have an opportunity where McKenney, uh, the ball is one back in our kind of corner of the defensive half and McKenney gets on the ball and springs a beautiful through ball to Timothy Weah, who brings that verticality and he's running that channel totally blazes by his man and Christian Pulisic seeing what's arising is darting towards the, the opponent goal in Mexico and is making a great run in and Weah sees that uh, identifies him plays a lovely square crossing ball to Pulisic who slides and puts the finish in 2-0 US 2-0 and things are looking good things are looking fun everyone's having a blast and it's starting to become a little bit of a powder keg because in the 71st minute we see dual red cards and one for them, one for us. It was a awful, awful situation for Mexico. What, what they did, basically Balagun, who is making his debut for the national team here. He has just chosen the U.S. men's national team. And we have him slotted right in at forward in a semifinal of a Nations League tournament against Mexico, our bitter rivals. So welcome to the U.S., uh, flow and we're we're happy to have you anyway he beats his man gets in behind and he's being chased down and i i forgot i think it was montez from mexico basically just takes a full swing at his back leg as he's dribbling such a dirty dirty cheap play one that could have really injured him given the force it was put on obviously our, our guys took exception to it mckinney gets into the middle of it like he does everything that's why we love him and gets into a shoving match a lot of shoves going back and forth. That guy was shown immediate red. And then McKenney, in the midst of it all, I think went to kind of push or create some distance between himself and some of the Mexican team. He was basically in their bench, surrounded by seven, eight players. And his hands got up a little bit high around the neck area, the throat area, which is never good unless you're Mexico and you get away with that a lot on McKenney, which has happened two or three times, at least uh, of my recent memory. And he, he was given a red as well. His Jersey, he was, they were wearing this one, I believe was torn entirely. And he's walking over to the bench to get a new one because he hasn't, he doesn't know he's got a red card yet. And he's taking the badge and just kissing it in front of all the fans there, which was definitely a pro Mexico crowd. You love to see it. Beers are raining down on him. Meanwhile, the boys are up 2 0. We didn't know at the time, but we just got a red card. They just got a red card. It's starting to become a little bit chippy, crazy, crazy game, which is what you expect from this rivalry match. And we get into, that was in the 71st minute. And then Balagun gets taken off shortly after that. And Ricardo Pepe comes on. Pepe train. People forget he was left out of the the Qatar World Cup. Uh, A lot of controversy there, given I think he was probably our best striker prospect going into it. And he comes on and basically scores almost right away. Dest, Serginho Dest, our right back, torched the entire right side of the field for Mexico. Beat three, four guys. Twinkle toes. This guy is so technically sound. One of those guys that just, we don't have many of that in our player pool. And plays a great pass into Pepe, who's holding his run up just enough to get in behind. He rounds Memo Ochoa. Uh, the goalkeeper for Mexico, and just slots it in coolly. He was called offside by the linesman, who must have been looking at something else at the time because he was well onside, and they ruled that, uh, reversed it, and gave us the goal. We're up 3-0 now. That's in the 78th minute. Obviously, things are starting to reach a tipping point, a boiling point for Mexico and Mexican fans. Uh, in the 85th minute, there's a little bit of an exchange where Dest keeps the ball in in the opponent's corner, and he gets the ball kicked out off of him with a little bit of aggressive force. There's some shoving that ensues. 
hands get up high once again, and both he and the opponent that were having this little shoving match, uh, wild beers are raining down on them, and a lot more than we've seen so far in the game. Both get red cards again. It's gotten to the point of this referee has lost total control, and for some reason, this idiot, after that red card in the 85th minute, wants to tack on 12 minutes of stoppage time uh, after the game to make sure this all gets seen out. While that all ensues, Mexican fans have obviously lost it. And for those that have not exited the stadium yet are choosing to even more loudly at the moment, scream uh, a pretty homophobic chant that they tend to do for opponent goal kicks and punts. And I'll get to that in a second here. So on the night, factually, just totally factually speaking, a resounding win for the United States. One that sees them cement this unbeaten streak against Mexico and one that sees the both rising and and just realization that we have this young dynamic group of players and some core players that are ballers and ready to take the next step. So for me, BJ Callahan, our, our interim coach, moves to 1-0. A nice 3-0 resounding victory. The players all liked him. He's been around the longest with the national team continuously. So glad to see him get his first W as an interim manager. Glad to see Balogun get his debut. Wasn't the best performance from him, but I will say I think just him, his presence, his being there, creates more space and less attention on guys like Pulisic, guys like Timothy Weah to be able to get in behind and, and not be as paid attention to because you have to watch a guy like Balogun. He netted 21 goals just this past season in France, which is no joke. So I love that he's occupying that space. Even if he's not playing his best game, you have to take him seriously. And therefore you can't just put two guys on a guy like Christian Pulisic. So I think he did his, his job there. I do want to see him get more involved dynamically moving forward and hopefully Sunday's that day. I love seeing Ricardo Pepe come on. He got a little fire on under under his under his butt to to prove himself and to challenge Balogun. You know, it's not just going to hand him that spot if if Pepe's playing better and producing. So he gets his goal, which was phenomenal. Timo Weah was lighting it up down the right flank. Gio Reyna playing at the tip of our midfield three with a missing Tyler Adams it was interesting to watch. I love the blonde hair. Gio showing no signs, not no signs, but less signs of that not not childish, but some of the the animated behavior we saw him with the throwing the hands up and the stuff that we saw in Qatar. And before that we saw a prime Pulisic who is ready for this next summer move to get the hell out of Chelsea who've totally mismanaged him. And he's fallen down the pecking order there. He now owns Mexico officially tied for the most goals in competitive matches for any U S men's national team player. And the first brace, two goals since Bradley did it in 09. So he is cementing his legacy here. And otherwise, that referee, I think he was El Salvadorian, should never F again. What a brutal, brutal job. The guy couldn't manage anything. It got totally out of hand to the point where you would dish out four red cards. I don't even know how many yellows flew in this match, but a ton of them, especially towards the end. It was disgusting. And also what was disgusting is the Mexican fans with the homophobic chants. Puto, I believe, is the chant they throw around, which is apparently a very, very very awful chant that is kind of derogatory towards um, our, our, our gay, our gay people. So, I mean, what, what world is that? Okay. To just be homophobic like that. And it's such a aggressive manner in the game of soccer that it just has no, it has no space to be there. So the fact that they keep doing that and throwing all that 
crap on the pitch too. It's just a even off the field. The fans just look bad. Mexico pretty rough in shambles, both on the field and off the field is my reflection on that. They haven't now beaten us since 2019. They're going down on and off the field, like I mentioned. And what does this mean moving forward for that? And I'm about to get into Greg here. So for everyone in, the, in here, uh, while you're here, throw me a like. Go down that little that little button, that little thumbs up. Throw me a like. Throw us a subscribe. We're going to do more stuff like this in the future. You'll be first to know. Uh, so make sure if you're on YouTube and, and tuning in right now, you give us some love. We appreciate it. Uh, but finally, what does this mean for us moving forward before we get into Greg and some listener questions is... I think we're taking applications for a new rival. Mexico is not going to be back anytime soon. And I'm not going to say that we're, we're, they're never going to beat us in, in the near-term future. They might. And they might give us a couple games here and there. But things don't look good for them. They've got a lot of hell to go through to get back to where they've been before. And I just don't see it happening. Their pipeline, their player pool is gone. It's ravaged. They didn't qualify for the 24 Olympics. They didn't qualify for the U20 World Cup. It's not like these guys are waiting in the wings and, and going to repopulate their national team. It doesn't look good for them. I got some questions from some listeners on, on this game, and one of them was from Ryan on Twitter. So thank you, Ryan, for submitting this. Uh, and do you guys feel like the timing of the announcement of Burhalter during this game, the very beginning, was a mistake by the USSF, uh, U.S. Soccer Federation. We played 90 great minutes against our biggest rival, and all anyone really could talk about was Burhalter after the game. We should have celebrated it, but it was pushed aside. 100% agree with that. I think it was genius by the U.S. Soccer Federation to bury it within this. Now, if things would have gone really south during this game, not as genius. Uh, but the way the game panned out with the news of Burhalter being so inflammatory, I think it was very on purpose by the U.S. Soccer Federation. And I think it worked out in their favor. Uh, and then finally, from Brandon on Twitter. Thanks for submitting, Brandon. Question here, being three years away from World Cup, who would you expect to see play a big role in this team outside of the guys from last night? First, quick note, I did the, the math. Average age of our starting 11 last night, 23.1. That's ridiculous. We were the third youngest team in the World Cup that just got played. And last night, you like guys like Christian Pulisic are the oldest guys out there. I mean, Matt Turner is the oldest guy out there. But Christian Pulisic being 24 is one of the elder players on that starting 11, which is mind-boggling to me and I, I honestly i see some guys even on our on our bench you know you think of a guy like maybe taylor booth or you think like zendejas who just committed to the u.s men's national team you could see maybe Pepe or brendan aronson make more of a, a a staple and get their name cemented in the team sheet honestly i think that 11 that we saw last night barring maybe the inclusion of adams because he is the most important one, probably one of our most important midfielders. And I think he would slot right back in maybe in place of Reina. Um, and we change our system a little bit with the MMA midfield. I think this is pretty much our starting 11. Cause you think about it. When I, when I say that age point, the prime for soccer players is like what 26, 27, 28, 29, though the late twenties is big for their athletic peak and their technical peak um, to hit at the same time. And a lot of these players are going to be in that or right below that when 2026 comes. So the fact that this team was so young at the World Cup was great. We got them some good learning experience, but I do think we'll be a little bit on the elder side come the next World Cup because everyone's going to be hitting their prime at the same time, which is just salivating. I cannot wait to see that on the field. Finally, not finally, but finally, we are at the Burhalter part of this segment. So I know this is why a lot of you all came here. Um, got some comments coming in that unbelievable from Kevin that Greg is returning. It's shambolic of U.S. soccer. 
another comment from Kevin. The game got out of hand when the ref didn't send off Antuna for jumping into Reyna and shouldered him in the face. Totally agree, Kevin. Another Greg comment from AC. Why Greg? Is there any explanation that justifies bringing him back? We look so bad. So let me give you couple elements of why I think Burhalter is here. So let's just be factual. Let's be objective in the very beginning. During the semifinal, like I said, the athletic reported that Greg, the coach who led us through our last World Cup cycle into the round of 16 in this November's past FIFA World Cup, is in negotiations to return as the manager of the U.S. men's national team, according to multiple sources who were given anonymity uh, because it was not supposed to be leaked, obviously. And they expected announcement to be seen on Tuesday. We've just already seen that announcement come from U.S. Soccer, so they've already jumped the gun on that. Maybe more of an unveiling on Tuesday again. But Greg is confirmed to be coming back to be the head coach of our U.S. men's national team after being out of the job for the last six months after his contract expired and for reasons contextual, which I'll get into right now. So Greg coached us from 2019 after we failed to make the 2018 World Cup, we led a long search to find our new World Cup, and he was the guy. And we identified him, hired him. He started in 2019, and he was our coach through the World Cup in 2022, after his contract expired. He wasn't fired. There were a lot of things floating around around his drama with the Reina stuff, which we'll get into. But he was not fired. His contract just expired. We did not renew it yet, because there's a lot of other stuff to be done. Now... While our performance in guitar was largely, I would say, praised critically for the success that we had and being one of the youngest teams in the tournament, they did allow his contract to expire. And I think because of one big thing, and that was a rift with one of our young stars, that being Gio Reyna. Gio Reyna, obviously, is a winger. He played attacking midfield last night for us. He was the blonde guy. Uh, if you saw him on the field, was nearly sent home for the World Cup due to his behavior after being informed, he would not be a starter. He was also coming off some injuries as well. He showed some lack of effort in subsequent training sessions and led to a rift between himself, his teammates, and his coach. And I documented that very heavily in a emergency pod. I think I did back just after this whole thing emerged. So if, if you can, go listen back to that if you want more context on that. After the tournament, Greg spoke at a leadership conference and talked about this situation specifically, it did not mention Reyna by name. Obviously, you put two and two together and people were able to connect the dots. The, the vow of secrecy and anonymity was broken that was at this leadership conference and the Athletic did report that Reyna was the player that Burhalter spoke about. Then Reyna's parents go on to, and they were doing this before, kind of air out the dirty laundry and and put out a story informing Ernie Stewart that they are witnesses to and they know that he, Greg, uh, had domestically abused his now wife, Rosalind, uh, by kicking her uh, outside a bar while they were in college at UNC Chapel Hill. So whole investigation ensues. Everyone's like, how could he? Everyone's also mad. The Reyna's like, how childish could they be and petulant to raise these types of issues? It's kind of like the, the, the mom soccer dads getting way too involved in their child's uh, career here. I mean, Gio is just now 20. Um, so definitely overbearing and trying to protect him. Uh, but it, it went over the line. And I think there was fault on both sides. Greg shouldn't have aired that out. And I do not think the Reyna's behavior is at all justified in how they handle this either. So it sends, has ramifications, big investigation gets launched. Ultimately, 
no fault is found. Everything that they said was true, and it was confirmed. Greg came out and confirmed it. Uh, but he's grown. They, they built a family together now, the Burhalter family, and everything is all good. And the Reynas have kind of disappeared from the limelight. Claudio is not with Austin anymore. I think he stepped down from his role as sporting director, and things don't look good for them. Uh, but Gio, is, it, for all intents and purposes, had a decent season at Dortmund. Didn't get probably much playing time as you'd have liked to, but he was a super sub at times. And mentally, it looked like he was coming back from that. Uh, you cannot fault a kid for the mistakes of their parents. So uh, I'm totally on, on Gio's comeback train here. I think last night was a good step in the positive direction. Here's my issues with the Burhalter rehiring. One, I think he was outcoached at the World Cup, specifically in our last game. I think he also had some great coaching moments at the World Cup, specifically looking to England game. But when you get deeper into the tournament, it really kind of separates the good from the great. And I think in the round of 16, when we ran up against Netherlands, Louis van Gaal, their, their coach, made some tactical adjustments before and during the game that really disorganized us as a group and ultimately negated our offense, which had been pretty dangerous in, in terms of chance creation um, throughout the tournament. Can he really elevate us to the next level? That's one of my worries in terms of coaching because the goal is different now. As a coach, his, his job was to bring us back to the World Cup. We failed to qualify in 2018. Bring us back and Project Youth Let's keep that going. Let's blood some new guys. Let, let's get them gelling, get the chemistry, build a good culture and build a good, you know, attractive, good style of play that'll be successful in international football or international soccer. I think that job was accomplished. Now it's different. Now it's take all of that stuff I just said, improve on it and make us not a contender, but someone that's going to be dangerous and can make some waves at the World Cup that could potentially get into a quarterfinal get into a semifinal, especially at home in 2026 with this coming. So uh, that's kind of my issue in terms of coaching. I see a comment here from Kevin. Thanks for commenting, Kevin. Both Hudson and Callaghan, both our interim managers, have teams that have looked better than we did under Greg. You know, I, I can't I can't disagree with you. I think Greg's lineup selection sometimes is a little bit faulty uh, personally, and I do think they've done well to keep it consistent and, and put our best 11 out there when we can. Uh, and, and Greg's system will never bring us to the next level. Something else Kevin put in here. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. And I think that gets a little bit what I was talking about. I think he's being asked a totally different goal now. And even in the, the, the announcement U S soccer just made, he's not going to be the coach for this nation's league final on Sunday. And he's not going to be the coach for the gold cup, which is baffling to me that we wouldn't be doing that. But the reason that Matt Crocker, our new sporting director cites is that they're going to focus on some bigger picture stuff. Uh, while we're at the Gold Cup, and they trust BJ to do well uh, with the team that is going to the Gold, the gold Cup. So they're going to lay that foundation, look a little more into the vision, a little more into the future, and make sure that we're in the right direction moving forward uh, between Matt Crocker and Greg Berhalter going into that, but he will not be part of the Gold Cup team, which is still just shocking to me. Um, other things, my issues with this. Wasted time. Why? We're six months. It's now June 16th. You formally announced this. Did it really need to go that long if we were really going to go back to it? Again, going back to what U.S. Soccer just released, it sounded like Crocker had this whole process out outlining the ideal competencies for what makes a good head coach. And those are things like building lasting relationships with, with staff and players, planning and effectively driving a vision-led identity, pushing innovation and boundaries, being a good decision maker, 
Then he used data analytics and tons of interviews, qualitative and quantitative, to make sure that we ranked each candidate. And ultimately, they came down to Greg. <sighs> Do I buy all that? I, I, I don't know. It just feels like, why did we need to take this long? Once that investigation about the the assault was done, it feels like we just wasted time between then and now we, when Greg could have been here already paving the way, doing that North Star and vision stuff for, you know, not only all the games that we've had between now and then, but for Nations League, for Gold Cup, for Copa America, which is coming to, to the United States next year, next summer. And then ultimately for the World Cup as well. Like, no, there is not enough time to plan for this stuff. And to have him lose six months just because of the search with air quotes seems sketchy to me. The whole process of this seems kind of sketchy to me in terms of we had to hire a firm to do this research thing. And I'm sure we had a lot of money going into investing into this coaching search as well. But it took us 13 months to land him in 2019 in terms of our search after we failed to qualify and fired Bruce Arena. And then it took us another six to rehire him again. It just feels like a lot of wasted time. I just, I don't get this whole process they're alluding to. Uh, finally, it's a continuation of the old boys club we've mentioned before. And now Matt Crocker is a sporting director. Ernie Stewart is now gone, but it still kind of feels like that when Greg is brought back to uh, this head coach position. I feel like there's a lack of transparency around this. I don't think it's going to change. And I'm anticipating there's not going to be many details released. Like who did we talk to? Who were the rankings? What were the rankings? Was it close? Was Greg by far and away the best candidate with all the metrics that we chose to look at? Was anyone else even offered? I would love to see that list. Were we actually doing our due diligence or is this just, you know, uh, wipe our hands clean? The guy did decent at the last World Cup. Let's hope he does it again and takes us further to the next one. I hope not. Uh, and finally, my, my personal thought is I don't like the idea of national team managers getting more than one cycle under the belt. I think a message from a, a manager like that, four years, three years even, is a long time to be a head coach with the same crop of players. You know, barring a few exceptions, a few guys come up, a few guys exit. So, I mean, that's a lot of time for the message to get a little bit stale and the guys all say they, they, they like him, which is great. But for me, I do feel like it's time to hit refresh and get a new face in there that is able to kind of just bring some fresh ideas and perspective to a team that is probably getting not a little bit, yeah, maybe a little bit sick of, of hearing the same stuff. And maybe a Burhalter's going to evolve things. And I, I really hope he does with all the stuff I say with this. I really wish him the best success. Um, but I also think there's some reasons why he was hired as well. So you heard my issues on paper. Burhalter, who's 49 is statistically one of the best coaches in U S men's national team history. He currently has the highest win percentage of any U S men's national team coach holding a 37, 11 and 12 record. That's pretty impressive on paper. He won the gold cup. He won the nation's league. He dominated Mexico since 2019. He qualified us for the World Cup after we failed to in 2018. We were undefeated in our group that featured England, and we recruited multiple dual nationals that will likely make a big difference for us in the future. We played a great, attractive style brand of soccer in the World Cup and ultimately ranked eighth in the field in Qatar in terms of field tilt. Uh, and so field tilt for anyone that doesn't know is really just indicates one team's share of, of both sides touches in the attacking third. So how much are you possessing and being dangerous in the opponent's third of the field? And we were behind teams, you know, contenders like England, France, Argentina, but eighth, that's not bad in a field like that, that we saw at the world cup, highly competitive. Uh, ultimately that's a good thing to have under your belt. 
We were efficient in our attacking movements. When we were eliminated by the Netherlands, we were the only three. We were one of only three teams in the tournament that has successfully taken a higher share of possessions into the final f- third uh, with 46%. So that was impressive for us. We were good at, at winning the ball back after losing it in attacking positions, ranking fifth in the, in the tournament and counterpressing. Us City fans, we know a thing or two about that. So the World Cup was successful when you look at the metrics and you look behind the curtain for for Greg and the team. And obviously, I think this is the biggest thing for me. He earned the respect of the core group of U.S. players. Guys like Pulisic, guys like Tim Weah, guys like Anthony Robinson, all have gone on record and said how great uh, an impact that he has had on the program and on them personally. Uh, and Tim Way, I had this to say, he said, Greg has really kept us together. We are definitely a family and no one can take that away. Greg has really helped us form the type of relationship with each other. So, yeah, he is a huge, huge, important part of this team. So hopefully he comes back. That was a week ago. Polisic last night after the game said, if you can see today is a testament of the work that Burhalter's put into this team. And BJ Calgan picked it up right where he left off. And it's a testament to him and a testament to this team, the way that we just continued and put on performances like this. So if that's not enough evidence, then that's all right. People are going to hate this no matter what. Clearly, you can see the support that he has of the players. You have the support of the players in an organization that is largely not run by, but informed by player opinion and consensus. This, this move makes a lot of sense. And finally, my personal belief is, doesn't really matter all that much for national team managers when you have such a high quality young and developing group of players like we have we have at this point the most luxury that we've ever had in terms of personnel available to us is greg the guy that's innovative going to bring all these fresh ideas and put it together the way that no one else could Mm, i don't think so do I think that we need the most qualified manager ever? Your likes of Pep Guardiola or, you know, other insert other names, Jurgen Klopp's to make sure that we tap into that potential. Mm, I, I don't think so either. I, I do think it's important, but I think we do tend to overlook that a lot of this does come down to players and performances they put in. Um, so what would be just as upset at this if they would have announced that he was being rehired right after the world cup? Probably not. Uh, and that's kind of barring the investigation that ended up taking place because he was successful. Um, I still personally think that we should have gone a different direction, but you know, what have you. So is the rumor true? We've got a question from Austin on Twitter. Is this the best way forward for us? Rumor is true. It is now confirmed. Is the best way forward? Time will tell. I don't know. I can't answer that question right now. I do have faith that he will advance us, but is he going to create a pace and advance us in the way that we'd like to advance. And as quickly as we'd like to advance ahead of a home world cup in 2026. I don't know. I don't know. Time will tell on that question. Who would you prefer to be hired? A question from Brandon on Twitter, guys like Luis Enrique, Yogi Lowe, even from the German, German national team. Uh, I mentioned Pep Guardiola coming off of champions league. That's such a pipe dream. Even a guy like Jesse Marsh, who we know was floated in and out of the conversations here, uh, who is an American manager, knows what it's like to play American soccer, knows our brand. Uh, those are guys that I would have thought about at least, but in terms of preferred, I had no one that I was earmarking saying that guy, that guy needs to be our next head coach. Um, we got a final question from double G on Twitter saying, do you think the U S men's national team should do a two-year contract for the coach or see what results he gets at nation's league and Copa America, then make a decision to extend further after. Well, we know the answer to this. 
the article from U.S. Soccer when they announced his hiring literally says Greg Berhalter chosen to lead U.S. men's national team to 2026 Men's World Cup. So we know it's going to be at least to the World Cup. I would have loved for it to be through Copa America. That's not going to be the case. Copa wraps up next next summer in 2024. Could have been a time for us to say, okay, are we in the right direction? How do we feel about that performance, given we're stacking ourselves up against teams that will be very strong coming to the World Cup in 2026? Uh, that's not going to be the case. He is going to be here through 2026. I'd say barring a meltdown uh, that we've seen before, but not likely uh, at this point. So that's all I've kind of got on the Greg side of things. So before I leave off, anyone drop any last kind of questions that we have in here forever in the room. Thank you again for being here. Um, like this, 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 this video, like uh, the podcast and, and, and definitely throw us a subscribe if you can and follow the show. Um, we're, we're, we're doing something different today with this little emergency press conference for us men's national team, but there's so much news. There's so much to be excited for so much to talk about a lot of drama going on. Uh, but I want to leave you all on a positive here. And that is that, we are taking on Canada in the CONCACAF Nations League final on Sunday at 7.30 Central Time on Paramount+. Plus. For anyone that has that, I would definitely recommend you get it for this one. It's going to be a good game. Looking at our head-to-head record, Canada has two wins, there's three draws, and we have four wins. If you look at recent history, uh, starting in 2019, they beat us in Nations League, and then we beat them in the Nations League, and then we beat them in the Gold Cup with, you know, obviously a very rotated different roster. And then when we had World Cup qualifying um, for the Qatar World Cup, we tied in Canada and they beat us on our home soil here. So we have not had the best track record of recently against Canada. And they're on the come up. They are my pick for our newest rival, given Mexico's mm, just capitulation. Uh, two guys stick out to me from Canada. Jonathan David, their striker, and Alfonso Davies, their left back. We've already talked about him recently in the Vancouver preview uh, since he was developed there. They were able to defeat Panama in the semifinal that they just played uh, in Vegas as well on, on Thursday. And in a 2-0 W, we had goals from Jonathan David and Alfonso Davies. Uh, Davies last played for Bayern Munich on April 22nd, but has since been sidelined with a muscle injury. He only got 30 minutes last night for Canada. I think they're trying to load balance him to be able to start him in the match against us. So I expect to see him tearing up and down the left side of the field, giving right back probably Joe Scally a hell of a time uh, on Sunday. So I'm looking forward to that. And then... Jonathan David uh, was able to score a clinical, clinical goal for them. They really, really struggled at the World Cup this year. I actually picked them to win a couple games in their group. They had a tough group with Belgium, Croatia, and Morocco. Man, you... uh, but they were not able to win any or the or draw any of those games. So um, clinic, clinical finishes were a tough thing. They were not having during that tournament, and they were practicing a lot, it sounds like. And it looks like David was able to put one past um, the Panama goalkeeper last night and John and uh, Alfonso Davies put in some insurance later on in the game. They have not hoisted or been even to a professional tournament finals since the 2000 gold cup. So this would mean a lot to them. They're eyeing their first title since that 2000 gold cup. So it's been 23 years and they're looking to kind of move on from the world cup disaster that, that was for them. They were awful. Like I said, at finishing, they finished last in their group and meanwhile, we are the defending champions of the Nations League, and we're hoping to regain momentum following a good World Cup and hopefully a good Nations League final victory and heading into the Gold Cup where we can get some guys that are kind of fringe guys, some time to, to build camaraderie and build chemistry and hopefully get a look with the full men's national team. But we have not beaten Canada since 2021. 
So we're going to have to exercise some demons here and get past them without some key personnel. And when I say that, we're going to be without, because of the red cards from the Mexico game, McKenney and Serginho Dest. So a key person in our midfield, given Tyler Adams' absence especially, is Weston McKenney. He will not be featuring, given he'll be suspended due to a red card. And Serginho Dest, our right back, who can flood up and down the right side of the flank, is also going to be unavailable due to suspension because of his red card. So we're likely to see, I would say, Joe Scally and Serginho Dest position playing right back. And we're likely to see... Luca De La Torre probably enter our midfield uh, in place of Weston McKinney, which gives us something different. He's gotten some good minutes in World Cup qualifying, so I'm I'm not I'm not overly worried about those swaps. We're definitely losing some quality, some guys we don't want to lose and we bum to lose. But for me, I'm excited about this game. This is the new rivalry in Concacaf now. This is the the battle of the top dogs, U.S. and Canada, and I couldn't be more excited about it. Anytime you get a chance to stack yourselves up against, you know, your own kind of local North American opponents here, especially in a meaningful game with a trophy on the line, the Nations League is on the line here. It's an exciting opportunity to get guys more experienced, to put them in pressure filled situations. And that'll be back in Vegas, like I said, at 730 p.m. Central Time on Sunday on Father's Day. And it's going to be an exciting one. It's a soccer filled weekend for you all. We've got a big game against Nashville on Saturday and in Nashville against, like I said, the number two team in MLS right now. And then we've got the U.S. men's national team taking on Canada. So hopefully you all enjoyed this. I felt like it was something I had to do with all the news and drama surrounding the men's national team right now. The U.S. is going through a lot of flux, uh, but still a lot of success to celebrate and be happy about with this win over Mexico. I think it's finally the turning of a corner where they're going down and we are only moving up from here. So I'm excited about this national team. I hope you all are too. And I'll be tuning in on Sunday night to watch the boys hopefully bring home some silverware and see Captain America, Christian Pulisic, probably hoist that in the air. So uh, best of luck to the boys. I'm very excited for it. Thank you all for tuning in today. Uh, If you're listening to this on podcast form, throw us a rating, throw us a review. If you like this kind of stuff, I can try to do this more often for the other games and tournaments we play in like the Gold Cup coming up. Uh, soon which will feature here at city park on june 28th so there'll definitely be more to come but if you like this stuff let us know uh, happy to provide this to you because we all love this team as well um, so city and u.s men's national team this is your home base for it thank you all for tuning in hope you all have a fantastic rest of your week if listening to this now and weekend if you're listening to this then um, and we will talk to you again on sunday for likely what is going to be a recap of nashville preview of rsl on wednesday and probably a little bit of teaser ahead of this game coming up with the final of nations league so uh, everyone take care it's been great chatting with you all and we'll talk to you soon jake out 